as was mentioned, my name is Kevin. This is my beautiful, lovely wife, Mary. And uh, it is great to be with all of you. This is a real homecoming for us. And uh, so many tremendous familiar faces. And it's getting kind of emotional just looking around, just feeling, uh, you know, it's great to be in the kingdom, isn't it? And just looking around and uh, just so many memories. And the, the overwhelming feeling is feeling so loved. And, uh, and, and loving as well, but feeling love. And that's just great to be in the kingdom. But, uh, you know, there's some things in life that make you want to go, hmm. You know what I'm saying about that? And, uh, you know, when you, uh, uh, there's a marriage street called the Marriage for Dummies, and you're the invited speaker. It's one of those things that make you want to go, hmm. Should I ask more questions here? I don't know. Um. But, you know, this is a blessing to be married, isn't it? What a gift God has given us. Uh, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says, The Lord said, It is not good for man to be alone. And boy, I've experienced that. I'll make a helper suitable for him. In Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, it says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up, but pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, okay, this is good. They'll keep warm, and more than that. But how can one keep warm alone? The one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A corn of three strands is not quickly broken. You know, I think it's one of the greatest blessings of life, um, apart from our salvation, is to be married. To, you know... Every single night to be able to lay down and sleep next to my husband, my friend, my lover. And um, I'm so grateful for God's plan. You know, there's nothing about life that I want to live alone. I want to live it with him and um, be together with him. You know, I think as God intends, there are so many things about Kevin that I need. And uh, we're going to talk more about how I didn't always see that, but I do see it now. You know, when I think of Kevin, I think of just a faithful man of God. And I need many times in my life that faith. You know, he calls me higher spiritually to be more. He loves very, very deeply. He loves our family, our children, very deeply. He's probably one of the most expressive men I've ever met. And I need that. He's stable. Okay, I need that. Um, he always sees things, sees the good in other people. He just sees people that way. That's not my strength. He's incredible with strangers. Uh, he just has a way with people. And he's an incredible leader. I need those things in my life. You know, it is important for us to understand just how much we need each other, isn't it? Because God created you to need the other. And I think uh, uh, we've got to really remind ourselves all the ways that we need each other. And when I think of Mary, she makes everything nice. You know, when I first got married and I went to the bathroom, there was a, a, a flower pot on the back of the bathroom. That never happened in any of my households. But she makes everything nice. She, she's the life of our house. You know, sometimes she goes away for retreats, and it's my, my daughter, my, Olivia, and myself. It, there's not a word said. As soon as Mary enters the house, there's life. Um, she's so thoughtful. She's always making gifts for people and 
making necklaces and making earrings, and, and she's uh, very hospitable, and she loves having people in, and things that I think is just incredible work. She loves making food and getting the house ready, and it's a real joy to her. Uh, she continually reassures me of her love. She's my biggest fan. Uh, she's uh, my biggest fan of my preaching, which I, I love a lot. She's incredibly frugal, uh, much more frugal than I am, and I'm pretty frugal. Uh, <laughs> tremendous sense of humor um, and the love of my life. But we have to understand just how desperately we need each other. I think also we have to come to, to love and appreciate the differences and, um, and understand that that's all part of God's design. You know, personally, I think it would be very boring if we were all the same. Um, but there's something about God's design uh, that he made us all differently. You know, God's plan is for us to come together um, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and really be more powerful as one than we ever could have been as two different people. But I think a lot of times we've got to learn to appreciate those differences, embrace them, and learn to understand them versus, I, I know at times in my life, it's been more of an irritant, uh, more of a challenge for me to see how God was moving in that. There should be a video of the next one. Okay, here's a, a guy. We're going to start discussing. We're going to start discussing men's brains, women's brains, and how they're very different from each other. Now, I want to start with men's brains. All right. Now, men's brains are, are very unique. Men's brains are made up of little boxes. And we have a box for everything. We've got a box for the car. We've got a box for the money. We've got a box for the job. We've got a box for you. We've got a box for the kids. We've got a box for your mother somewhere in the basement. we got... We got we, we got boxes everywhere. And the rule is, the boxes don't touch. <laughs> when a man discusses a particular subject, we go to that particular box, we pull that box out, we open the box, we discuss only what is in that box. All right? And, and then we close the box and put it away being very, very careful not to touch any other boxes. brains are made up of a big ball of wire. <laughs> and everything is connected to everything. <laughs> money is connected to the car, the car is connected to your dog, and your kids are connected to your mother, and everything connected to everything. You know, like... <laughs> and 
next superhighway. Okay? And, and it's all driven by energy that we call emotion. It's, it's one of the reasons why women tend to remember everything. Because if you take an event and you connect it to an emotion, it burns in your memory and you can remember it forever. The same thing happens for men. It just doesn't happen very often because, quite frankly, we don't care. Uh, women tend to care about everything. And she just loves it. Okay. Uh, is that true or what? And you know, as Mary and I uh, first were married, we saw these differences in a lot of ways. Uh, the amount of time she wanted to spend with me was a lot. And uh, I just thought, you know, you had sex and then you did your thing and you ate dinner and, and that was about it. Um, first, her idea of holidays. She wanted to nice holidays. You know, I just liked the food. Um, <laughs> Amount of time talking each day, you know, was, was different. Expectations of thoughtfulness, sexual desire was different. Um, almost in every, our concept of leadership, me leading her or her being led, was very, very different. Uh, everything we, we did was different, and this caused a lot of problems. Um, I think when we were first married, I think we were very naive to, uh, sorry, these challenges and, and what they would pr produce. I think for me, and I think as women sometimes, because we're the more sensitive or more emotional, uh, we can think that our way is the best way and that we are more sensitive, we are more caring. We, our view of the world is the right view of the world. And, um, and for me, I was just very prideful when it came to things like that and how I saw. And, and, and because of that, it's very easy and was easy for me to become very critical. Critical of how he did things. Critical of how he thought about things. Um, not caring for my emotions, which really led to, for me to become very bitter and um, very angry. You know, I can remember many uh, situations where I would just get so angry. Um, this was in our early marriage where I just say, let me out of the car. I'm just getting out. And if you wouldn't um, stop the car, I'd open the door while it was moving. And um, I remember when it came to Christmas, I was so excited. I'm like, I can't wait to get a Christmas tree. And, and Kevin, in his practical way, said, why would we get a Christmas tree? I mean, your parents are going to have one. My parents will have one. And... Um, <laughs> Why would we get one for our house, too? And, um, but, you know, in my anger of that, I remember I just grabbed my coat. Um, it was very cold, and I just left and uh, went for a couple-hour walk. I mean, this is before cell phones. I was just gone. I would just get so angry. And, um, and unfortunately, it just came to a point where we had moved to Chicago. I was on my way to church to count the cost with a woman who is going to be um, baptized, and we got in a huge argument, and I just slapped him across the face. And um, 
I remember getting to church, and Nancy Mantle said, uh, she was there, she goes, are you okay? And I said, I don't think so. I just slapped my husband across the face. And 25 years ago, and it's still hard to share. Um, but I just felt so angry and so desperate in my marriage. I had thoughts of leaving him, but I, I would think, where would I go? I'm, I'm not going back to my parents. I, I was just so prideful. I'm like, you know, people will know there's something wrong if I leave. And so, um, you know, I wasn't going to leave. I mean, it was just, you know, interesting. Um, you know, I remember on vacation just getting into this huge fight. And I was the yeller. I was the screamer. And just kind of ruining our time together. And this was how we lived for the first couple years of our marriage, just in these constant struggles, uh, constant challenges of, of me getting angry, him not knowing what to do with it, and um, him just kind of walking out or just standing there as I'm yelling at him. Um. The whole time we were in the ministry, in, in, in our marriage, uh, but we were known to have the worst marriage in the, in the Midwest ministry. Um, all the churches. Um, and, uh, you know, Mary uh, really had the proper view of marriage in terms of spending time and talking, all this sort of thing. But I felt smothered. And so the more she wanted, the more I wanted to run. And, and then the more she felt neglected and the more she felt resentful. And uh, and she was more the demonstrative one. She was the one that would yell and say things, and I was more the calm, cool, collected one. And uh, and so over time, you know, you think, well, she's obviously she's the sinner. Just look at her. She's screaming. She's yelling. Um, I was. But there's all kinds of stuff going on in my heart that wasn't exactly Jesus-like. Uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but. Um, and, you know, I felt, uh, I, I, more, as time went on, uh, in my heart, in my head, I entertained so many thoughts. Uh, I remember there was a wedding or marriage retreat or something. I talked about, think of all the good things about your spouse. And I remember thinking, I cannot think of one good thing about her. I had so been so negative and so critical and so self-righteous. Everybody else thought she was the most wonderful person on the planet. And I couldn't think of one. I knew something was off in my heart. Um, and I just didn't want to come home. So I'd stay out with the guys. Uh, with spiritual things, you know, I'd be discipling people or studying the Bible with people. She conks out about 10.30. If I get home, say, around 11, I won't have to talk to her. I won't have to look at her. I can just go to bed and not have to deal with her at all. Uh, and this went on for years. There was a, a tension in our home that was constant. And uh, my thing was, uh, you know, I, I just didn't even want to walk in the front door. Because the common thing I'd say is, what is wrong with you now? That would be a common thing that I would, I would say. Um, and did not see my lack of love, my lack of concern, my lack of care, how that brought in all of these things. It got very, very bad. At, uh, let me read Ephesians 5, 20, uh, 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, 
and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. And uh, it, it got to a point that uh, uh, I remember praying and kneeling on our couch, and the prayer went almost verbatim, God, this is pure hell. And I remember that prayer, and I said, but, and I wrestled for a while about it, uh, you know, what am I going to do, God? And the end of that prayer was, God, this is the thing, um, if this is what you want me to do until the day I die, um, so I can be with you forever, I'm in. Now, full of self-pity, full of blaming her, right? There's a lot of sin even in the prayer. You know what I'm saying? But, I think... Why don't you go to the next one there? Okay, the next one. There it is. Uh, I think a decision was made, this is it, God. This is between me and you. And I'm in. And I'm going to obey you. That was a really important prayer, even though it had a lot of sin in the prayer itself. And... Um, and I think one of the things that came, the hope that came for me, is me realizing at that time that my marriage and the success of it really didn't have a lot to do with Mary. Almost nothing. I know that sounds weird. But it had everything to do with me and God. And once that hit the brainwaves, actually I was filled with a lot of hope. I said, I cannot affect one iota through the uh, relationship but I can't affect what I'm going to think, what I'm going to feel, what I'm going to do. And that filled my heart with a lot of hope. And I said, God, this is the deal. I'm in. I will obey you. I will do whatever you tell me to do so I can be with you forever. And I believe a lot of Christian marriages uh, go through this, if not maybe all. And God brings us to the point to say, what are you in this for? Are you in this to have your needs met? Are you in this to bring me glory? And I had to come to that point. What am I in this marriage for? You know, well, this needs not me. Not after this, and my expectations here. My, expectations here. and you know, I had a laundry list in my mind. And it's is that what I'm in it for, or am I in this just to bring God glory? And even though that prayer was not a good prayer in a lot of ways, it was a very pivotal point in our marriage. Uh, where I said, okay, God, I will do whatever you say in this marriage uh, because I love you and I want to be with you forever. I think, I think for us as wives, it's just so important. I think um, when we're in the midst of challenges or the in the midst of wanting things to change, I think it's very, very easy for us to focus on the other person and what they need to change. And... I think, um, I remember we were um, in this big fight, and my parents were moving, and Kevin had committed to helping them uh, move that day, and so he had left, but we were, you know, just not resolved. And, um, and I was so angry, this is all before cell phones, so I'd go to the 7-Eleven to the pay phone to call him, because I was out and about, just to give him another piece of my mind. And um, and I was I was so angry. This little boy came up to use the cell phone. I'm like, you're just gonna have to come back because I'm gonna be on this for a while. He kind of went away. And um, 
yeah, it was bad. And um, I just remember, you know, at some point we talked for a while and Kevin said, Mary, where are you at with God? Where is God in all of this? And, um, and I remember I said, you leave God out of this. This is between you and me. And, um, but I think sometimes that's, that's what we can, in the midst of things, we leave God out of it. And, um, and I do think that desire that first and foremost, I'm going to obey the word of God. I'm going to do what's right before God is so important. Um. You know, one of the things that I'm afraid of in the church is some of the world is creeping into the church when it comes to marriage. Uh, the concept of, well, my uh, needs aren't being met, uh, therefore uh, maybe I should get out of this marriage. Or my needs aren't being met, maybe I should find someone else that will meet my needs. You know, that is purely from hell. That is from the lips of Satan himself. Uh, this is not about your needs being met. I know that's hard to hear. Your needs will be met. There will be needs that be met. You with me here? But this is about your faithfulness to God and your relationship to God and your obedience to God. And when that's what your marriage becomes about, that is the start of a great marriage. Amen? We're going to hear now from Rudy and Yvonne. So Rudy and Yvonne, come on up. How's everybody doing? I don't even think we have to share anymore. You know, we have the same exact thing. I think our we're going to share about the exact same thing. So, but I just want to start by introducing myself. Uh, my name is Rudy Casillas. This is my lovely wife, Yvonne, and um, we've been married going on 16 years. Come December. Uh, This is my high school sweetheart, by the way. So we've been, we've been together about 20 years. You know, it's been a long time. Um, we have three beautiful daughters, uh, Chloe, who's 16, Celine, who's 13, and Berlin, who's 8. And um, we've had, you know, you know, it's been a tough, tough road, but very rewarding for the things we've learned. And so that's pretty much what we're going to share today, just kind of, you know, the things we've been through, how we've persevered, and um, what we've learned. And uh, I'm going to let my wife share first. I have to read, because if not, I'll cry. I'll probably cry regardless, but amen. Um, the biggest misconception I had uh, as a disciple was that I should have a perfect marriage. But how can two imperfect people have a perfect marriage? Having a God-centered marriage has been the hardest thing I have ever had to do because I am selfish. I am by nature not vulnerable. I have had to work hard to put my heart out and continue to put it out after I have been hurt. And in my marriage, there has been a lot of hurt. We have gone through some very hard times, 
times that I don't like to think or even talk about. But Jesus is the only reason why I'm still married. And not just married, but happily married. And so I share my heart with you in hopes that you too will let Jesus heal you and your marriage. Because like Kevin and Mary, we really are the same. We all have the same needs and expectations from our spouse. But what happens when those needs and expectations don't get met is a decision we all have. And we have made many bad decisions in the past. We have fought for days and then go weeks without speaking to each other. And we had some really crazy fights and we would curse at each other. Rudy would punch walls. We'd slam doors. We'd lock each other out of the room. It wouldn't even take much to set us off. I mean, just one look, one bad word, and that was it. Our whole day was ruined, our weekend, our family it was just down the drain. We'd leave, too, as soon as he would walk in the house. I would leave, go out with my friends, and leave him home. Or the other way around, I'd be home frustrated with the kids. We'd go weeks, weeks without being intimate. And we would let Satan fill our heads with sin, sin of being with other people and how they would make us happy and how they would understand us. Then Rudy found someone who he thought would fill his emotional and physical needs. They kept in touch for weeks in secret, and when I found out, I was completely devastated. I struggled with the thought of even moving forward. I didn't know if I even wanted to forgive him. I let Satan run free in my mind, and I didn't realize how much I needed hope in my life until there was no hope. I was so hopeless. It had gotten to the point where I asked Rudy to move out, and I wanted a divorce. <laughs> you know those those years were like the darkest times I've had as a disciple and man, like my wife said we're we're about to get divorced I was I was in sin not not only you know, it was she talked about having an emotional relationship with somebody else, but, you know, my, I was hooked on pornography. I was angry, you know, I was really bitter. I actually blamed my wife for all of this. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't see my, I, I knew I was in sin, but I, I blamed her. It was her fault. I wouldn't be in this place if, you know, she wouldn't be so harsh to me. She was, you know, she would make love to me. I just, I blamed her for, for everything. And, um, you know, it came to the point where one day, you know, I had to make a decision. I was at a crossroad. Either I was going to stay bitter, stay angry, move out, get divorced, or I was going to obey God's word. I was going to commit to, to doing what, you know, God had called me to be a true disciple. And so I want to read a scripture that, pretty much summarizes what I chose to do. It's in um, James 1, 
and it's uh, 21 through 25. And it says, So get rid of all filth and evil in your lives, and humbly accept the word of God, the word of God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says, otherwise you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and do not forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. And that was kind of the, the beginning, you know. I, obviously I repented. Um, God help. You know, that's what's amazing about this church. There's lots of people who are willing to, you know, help you. And definitely got that. Um, and then also what I... What I believe was, was really the most important thing, I chose to obey God's word, you know. I got, you know, I got in the scriptures and started trying to learn what it really meant to love my wife, what it really meant to be a great husband, you know, I read 1 Corinthians 13.4, Ephesians 5.25, and, you know, what, I guess what started changing was I, I started living it, you know, I wouldn't let what my wife would do to me or didn't do for me really really change what I had committed to do for God. I, I You know, it was a similar, similar thing. I was in a prayer, and I, I was praying to God, and I was like, God, you know, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. I know I can't change this because I've tried, and things have just gotten worse. And it was that point where I just told God, you know, God, I'm going to commit to you. No matter what happens, I'm, I'm going to obey. And... Um, that, like I said, was the beginning, you know. I would say it was immediately God just kind of started blessing our marriage. And, um, you know, even now I talk about it, and, and I would tell people, I don't understand what happened. I don't know how it happened. I just know that I committed to God. I said, God, this is what I'm going to do, you know, for you. Because it wasn't even about my wife anymore. It was about my sin, you know, about my commitment to God and, and God just started blessing our marriage, kind of like what it talks about in James 1.25. And something that kind of, you know, got my attention. Marco was preaching a couple weeks back. It was maybe two, three weeks ago. And he read this, this quote by Dorothy Karen. And it says, Obedience is a key that unlocks the door to every profound spiritual experience. And that's what has been in our marriage, you know. It's like, I know it's nothing I did because everything, you know, I'm a dummy. Everything I do just seems to get worse, you know, and it was truly just being obedient, you know, obedient to, to God, and, and and that's that's what's changed, and I just want to share something that's kind of, you know, it's not funny, but we had gotten asked to, to do this about a month ago, and um, I can honestly say our marriage has been great, okay, except for last month. Um... I, yeah, yeah, exactly. At first, at first, you know, because my wife, wasn't she an amazing guy speaking, by the way? She, she was terrified to the point of crying. She was like, I don't want to do this. I can't believe they're making us do this. And Yeah. So I was like, okay, we're bumping, we're fighting. She's trying to get out of this. She, she, she doesn't want to talk, so she's going to, you know, we're going to fight. And I 
was literally to the point of telling Steve, hey, look, Steve, I, I can't do this, you know. I, I feel like a hypocrite, you know. Getting up here and talking, and we've just been doing horrible. And um, the amazing, the most amazing, awesome thing was, is, you know, I feel God does everything for a reason, you know. It kind of brought me back to where we were at, you know. It was a reminder. Okay, it's not about my wife. It's not what she's doing or not doing for me. It's about the commitment that, that we made to God. And, you know, it's, it's the obedience, guys. And I'll say this to the husbands. It's husbands, as leaders, you know, I'll tell you. I was to the point I was talking to a sister. I was like, I'm tired of always being the one to submit. and I'm tired of being the one to try to make things right. You know, I was to the point, it sounds really stupid saying it out loud. I didn't want to read my Bible because I knew that God's Word would want to change my heart. And I was waiting for my wife to be the one, you know, to, to humble out. And it, it's dumb, guys. It's, as leaders, as men, it's, it's our job, whether you like it or not. And so after I talked one of the sisters ear off, telling her how I wasn't going to do this, I wasn't going to do that, that on the way home, I made a decision, guys. It's a decision, and it was a choice, and I humbled out, and um, I'm grateful for it because it kind of reminds me of the commitment I made to God. It's kind of like renewing my vows with God. Like, hey, God, I, I committed to doing this, and this is what I'm going to do. And, and that's our story, guys. <laughs> huh? no. You know, what's funny about that is uh, we didn't coordinate our stories at all. Isn't that amazing? Like God. Uh, second point here, we'll go quickly, is um, we've got to focus on our own sin only for now. Matthew 7, uh, 3. You want to do the next slide, please? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And, um, you know, this was a, a big one for us in that um, I completely thought she was the sinner. Um, I may have had a few things that I needed to work on, some fine-tuning. Uh, but, but it was obvious, you know, I, I thought if someone would just put a videotape in our home, they would see who the center is. Because, uh, uh, you know, Mary was loud, and, but my heart was so much pride, hatred, resentment, bitterness, lack of concern, Lack of love for her, lack of thoughtfulness, uh, almost complete. And yet, I was not able to see any of that uh, because Satan had so blinded me in saying this is her fault, at least 90% in my mind. And I, I was absolutely convinced uh, that, that was that was the truth. And uh, it wasn't until I said, okay, through some help, uh, that, Kevin, you have got to focus, even if she is the majority, or 
Even if that's true, God is calling you to focus on you and on your sin only right now. Until you can, at such time as you can look and love and you know see the right things. And uh, that was very powerful for me. Very difficult, though. Very, very difficult for me. Uh, but very powerful. Say, okay, I'm only going to look at my sin. And, and sometimes within the middle of the argument, I'd catch myself, okay, I want to hear just what is my sin in this. And I was able to do that. Amazing how we can move forward spiritually. We must do this. I think, um, obviously, this is also hard for us as women uh, to focus on ourself and our sin. You know, it's realizing the only person you can change is yourself. Uh, you will never change your spouse. And, um, and if you can't look at yourself and look at your sin, you're, you're not going to grow spiritually. Um, you know, we would get with John and Nancy Mantle. They were discipling us. And, um, you know, every week I felt like, Okay, when are we going to get around to Kevin? And, um, you know, he seems to have a twist on these things that make it seem like it's all my fault. And, um, and, and to my shame, this went on for months, months of getting together every single week. And I can identify the time I was sitting there. I, you know, I can still remember their little house and where we were sitting and me saying, they think this is my fault. And really owning it, that really, as far as it was up to me, it is my fault. Um, and I needed to start changing myself. And I think that's so important. We've done counseling with people. And you'll talk and you'll talk about it, and then you'll ask them something, and they're right back on what their spouse didn't do. And I, and I, I know from personal experience, your marriage is never going to be what you want it to be, um, unless you can really do that. I remember another fight. You know, there was just a few of them. But, um, um, and I remember saying, you know, if you could just be like Al Baird. And I had never even met Al Baird at the time. But, you know, he just seemed really, like, spiritual and everything. And, you know, and, of course, you know, Kevin's response, well, you start being like Gloria and I'll start being like Al. That didn't get me anywhere, and so I remember Kevin saying, let's pray. And um, we, we knelt down on the bed, and he said, do you want to start? And I said, absolutely. And I said, dear God, you help this man to change. And I just, I, I'm not kidding, I went on and on and on. And, um, and then I remember Kevin praying, and um, he started crying. And he just prayed, God, please help me to be what I needed to be and to really change. And um, I'll tell you, it. I was like, he got done, and I said, I think I need to pray again. I was a little afraid of being struck by lightning at that point. Um, but, you know, I think even in our prayers, you know, I made a decision during that time that I would never pray about what I felt like Kevin needed to change. Um, because what would happen is I'd start praying even about those things, and then I'd get worked up about it. And kind of in my mind, I'm kind of mad again about it. And um, it's a decision that I have kept for 20-some years. Every day I love to pray about what I love about him, um, how incredible. It, it is amazing what that will do to your heart, sisters, when you really start praying about the incredible man you're married to.
Next slide, please. Um, the third point here is we need to get help. You know, uh, the things we're dealing with are so convoluted emotionally. Uh, there is no way that you can help yourself figure all the, the things you need to figure out because it's so fraught with hurt or expectations or all kinds of different things going on. And we need to get consistent, weekly at least, discipling help in our marriage relationship. Colossians 1.28, we proclaim him admonishing, teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy which so powerfully works in me. And uh, obviously they're talking about one person discipling another, but that's also true couple to couple, that we need help to be presented perfect in Christ. And it is a labor, and it is struggling. We did get help from John and Nancy Mantle, and that really is what turned our marriage around. No doubt, no question, without John and Nancy, it would not have turned around. Obviously it's the power of the Holy Spirit, it is the power of God, it is the power of the blood of Christ. But working through uh, His Word and John and Nancy helping us. We need each other. Uh, on so many different fronts. I mean, we'd go to their house and they're discipling us. We're in the ministry. They're in the ministry. I bring my laundry list of ministry questions. Let me see that. That's really great. Let's talk about your marriage. And so we thought, oh, that's really nice. I'm going to talk about our marriage first. And, and so the next week I bring a laundry list of questions about my ministry. That's nice. Let's talk about your marriage. About four or five weeks of this. You know, okay, they think we've got problems. Um, so we had six months, and we didn't, we didn't talk a word about ministry. It was all just about our marriage, and that saved us. That saved us. Who's helping you get where you need to be in your marriage? I needed help on a lot of things. How to lead Mary. You know, we had our first uh, discipling time as a married couple. It was a little Greek restaurant called Dimitri's. I brought in a laundry list of all the things she needed to change. And um, so, okay, I'm supposed to lead you right now. Number one, you need to change this. Number two, you need to change that. And she's running off to the bathroom crying. I thought, what a prideful woman. <laughs> I'm just trying to love her, wash her through the word. And, uh, and, you know, she's running off to the bathroom in tears. You know, John says, Kevin, have you ever asked her, do you want me to lead you? And, and, then, and then when she says yes, she'll say yes. Then, then the question you ask is, uh, could you teach me how you, if I see something in you that I'd like to see change, teach me how to do this. That would work. And, uh, you know, she'd been waiting for that question, so she had a lot to say about it, it would be better if you would do it, be good if you would do that. And light bulbs were going off in my head right and left on what to do that I didn't know before. But I needed to be discipled to t train me how to do that. Uh, teaching me how to rescue. You know, Proverbs 12, 6 says, The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the speech of the upright rescues them. He said, Kevin, in your conversations, do you realize there's a point that you have uh, a conversation that's really productive, and then there's a point, emotionally, that no matter what happens, it's not productive? I said, yeah. I said, well, what do you do at that point? You keep fighting. And then, uh, then you have uh, Proverbs 27, 12, which says... Uh, a fool sees danger, or a wise man sees danger coming and takes refuge. A fool keeps going and suffers for it. He said, if once it hits that point, you need to stop arguing and rescue her. That makes a lot of sense. 
but I needed someone to disciple me on how to do that. We need to be committed to one another, too. Uh, we need to help each other. We were uh, leading the church in Milwaukee, so this is now, uh, they started discipling us, then we started leading some churches. They stayed committed to us. To this day, they're committed to us. And so we're in Milwaukee, and it was an anniversary. And so I uh, uh, took her on an overnight anniversary, so I'm learning, right? And uh, But she conks out about 10.30, and so I said, uh, the guy that was, uh, my right-hand guy was a guy named A.T. Arneson. And so I said, A.T., listen, this a 45-minute trip from Milwaukee to Racine, Wisconsin, where we were having our overnight. I said, A.T., why don't you show up at 11 p.m.? We'll get us some time together, some discipling time, because she conks out about 10.30. <laughs> And that sounded like a great idea to him. Sounded like a great idea to me. So, you know, it's our anniversary overnight. And, and um, <laughs> trouble is, she, she didn't conk out at 10.30. She didn't conk out at 10.45. And she didn't conk out at 11. Holy Spirit kept me awake. <laughs> so it's getting to be about 11.15. Aren't you getting tired, babe? <laughs> um, and so finally I had to tell her, because A.T. was waiting down the lobby. He drove 45 minutes to get with me. I said, okay, uh, this is the deal. A.T. Arneson's waiting in the lobby there for us to get some time. Oh, my word. You can imagine, right? World War III. And uh, so we, 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 called, uh, we called John and Nancy. And he, they always pick up. I said, John and Nancy, this is what's going on. He said, you did what? He said, okay, we've got a barbecue tomorrow. I'm canceling it. I'm coming up there. And John and Nancy came up. You know, we need each other, guys. We need each other. Number one, you need to make sure you're getting weekly, consistent help in your, in your marriage. And number two, we need to be that for each other, right? We need to help each other uh, because we all need help all the time. Amen? Amen. So uh, three things we want to stick with. Number one, I'm in it forever, and I will obey. Number two, I am going to focus on my sin only, for now, for now. And you've got to be committed to get help. Love you. Thank you very much.